Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. I told the last service, you can tell how long a sermon's going to be a lot of times by how many pages of notes I have. And so literally I have one page of notes today. This is it right here. So let me just tell you, it's going to be a longer sermon than normal. I don't know why it's that way. I could have eight or nine pages of notes, and I will get done in a fairly quick order. Last week there were six pages, and I was done in 30 minutes. So you'd think one page, 15 minutes. 15 plus 30 was last service. But anyways, we'll see where it gets to today. And I don't know that. I'm trying to figure out, is it because maybe with six pages, I'm like, I got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going. And with one, I'm like, I got time, I got time, I got, I don't know. It's procrastination or what it is, but we'll see. And so we started First Peter here a few weeks ago, and we're going to dive right in. We are going to be in verse 13 through 21 today, but we're going to look. We're not doing much with verse 10 through 12. But we're going to read them, and I'm going to explain them to you before we go on to verse 13. The explanation will take just a couple minutes, and then we'll go further. So last week, if you remember, we looked at the fact that we're to rejoice in the fact of all that God's done. The lively hope that we have that he's given us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have, a, we have an inheritance that will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us. We're kept by the power of God, and we can rejoice in that. But there's going to be times of temptation and trials that come into our lives. And we just, the Lord's there. He will see us through. And as we saw at the end of verse number 8, it says that when we are received up, when we're with him, you'll re you'll, we will rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. And we'll be receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Verse 10 tells us of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied the grace that should come unto you? And this salvation, you got to understand, this salvation has been mentioned all throughout the Bible. You go, you go back Old Testament, the prophets mentioned the fact that there was going to be a Messiah. And he was going to save his people from their sins. And he was going to remember, he was going to bruise the serpent's head, right? And the serpent was going, and as we look at those things, so it was mentioned all the way along that salvation was going to come in the Messiah. Now keep on reading. It says... Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. And they would mention, if you look in the Old Testament, the prophets, they mentioned the fact that Christ would suffer many things. He'd be beaten beyond recognition. There's so many things said about what would take place, and they were prophesying about what was going to happen. But the fact is, we look at verse number 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And really what it's saying here is, Peter's saying, I wasn't there when they penned those words in the Old Testament about the Christ coming, about the Messiah coming. But I am reporting to you that what they prophesied about in the past, that it's true. And since it's true, he's going to go further into some thoughts for us. And the fact is, the Bible talks about how the angels were even wondering about this thing. And this is the thing, the Old Testament let us know that the Messiah was coming. And if you studied the disciples very well, remember they kept asking Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom? You're here, when's the kingdom coming? 
They didn't understand that there was going to be a breakup of time between the kingdom coming and after Christ died. If you remember, they rejected Christ. So the time clock stopped for seven years, which will start up at the tribulation for Israel, but it ushered in the church age. Paul talks about the mystery that they didn't understand. It's the church. And so as we look at these things, Paul's just saying this is the end of our faith, just like for them, they didn't get to see Christ. They prophesied and preached about him. And before Christ came, you've got to understand salvation was the same before Christ and after Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord's the Lord and he doesn't change. So what they did is they looked to Calvary and looked to Christ. We looked back to Christ. And so what he's saying is, after Christ came, their faith was put to sight. So that's what those verses are explaining. Now, because of this, we look at verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 21. It says, wherefore, gird up the... Now, I could just end there, because we did three verses, right? No, 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 we're going to get a message in. Here we go, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, passing the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. I pray that you guide us, help us. We love you. We need you. We thank you for you being our God. Bless this time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. From the beginning of the Bible, we notice something pretty quickly. We notice the fact, within the first few words, that in the beginning, God. God. Now, this world has many gods. There are many religions that have many false gods. That we think back, if you remember back to Pharaoh in Egypt. And in Egypt, they had gods for everything. There was, and you think the river had a god in it. Frogs, there was a frog god. There's all sorts of different gods. That's why, if you notice, all the plagues in Egypt really attacked all their deities. And Pharaoh himself thought that he was God. And I, what I want you to understand as we dive in today, there is no one like our God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible, there is no one remotely close to him. No one can think like him. No one can create like he does. No one has the power that he has. There is no one like God. He is set apart. He is unique. And there is no one that will ever be like him. The word that we use in the Bible to describe this quality of God is his holiness. God is holy. He is set apart, and there is no one like him. 
And I would think in this room this morning, you agree with me, there is no one like the God of the Bible. He is holy. He is set apart. Now, this is the issue. God wants his children to be holy. It's quiet. Last service, I got quiet. Talking about holiness. Yeah, we're talking about holiness today. Living in holiness. You're like, isn't that just like Old Testament stuff? Is 1 Peter Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. Ding, 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 ding. Good, right answer. That means holiness matters today like it mattered then. This is the thing. God doesn't come to you and look you right in the face and say, I want you to do what I tell you to do now. He doesn't do that. Were you ready for that? School starts in two weeks. You ready for that? And uh, I don't know if I've ever... I don't think I've ever done that to you before. You got a little scared there. He woke up. He was, he was, his, he literally, his eyes were a little foggy there, and I knew I'd get him awake right there. And so Gage and Eric, you'll be next. You'll be next right there. Just keep it up. I'll be getting you in a minute. If I were God, I would probably do it that way. He doesn't. God wants you to live a separated life. He does. There are a lot of people out there that say in Christianity, it's my life, and I'll do as I please with my life. By the end of the message, I hope to change your mind on that. But I want you to understand something. God wants his children to live holy lives. Set apart. Now you say, well, I'm not going to be sinless and perfect like God. I'd never asked you to be sinless. God doesn't ask you to be sinless, because he knows you. God wants you to live a separated, holy life. People don't like hearing about holiness very often. Let me just give you some thoughts. Your movie collection should be different than the world's movie collection. The words that come out of your mouth should be different than the words the world uses. The things you do should be different. Not because you're better or that I'm better than anyone else, but God has called us to be holy and set apart because he's holy and set apart. What you do matters. And you know, in this room this morning, at the end of the day, in Christianity, we have a lot of people that focus so much on the outward. In all reality, you honestly don't know if the person sitting next to you is saved or not, if you're being honest. You don't. Because, and while well, you know people by their fruits, that's not always the case. You don't know how, you know, the person sitting next to you might act like the devil all the time, and they might be saved. And then the person sitting next to you on your other side or there with you, they might be, they might act like an angel all the time, and they could have the devil inside of them for all you know. You never know. And don't be pointing fingers at each other with whoever you're sitting next to. You guys can sell that at home and everything else. And sometimes people get so caught up on this, the problem is they think an outward conformity will fix their life. But it's much more than an outward conformity. We did a study a while back through the Book of Romans. We went through the Book of Romans, probably one of my favorite studies I've done so far. But we saw in the first three chapters how wicked we all are. Chapter 1, we see how a society that turns from God God rejects them and gives them over to reprobate minds. And we see why our world is the way it is today. And he says, 
People without Christ, they're wicked. Everyone is. There's none righteous, no, not one. And because of that fact, he goes through and gives us the gospel from chapter 4 through chapter number 11. Chapter 12 comes into play and says, Therefore, I, bes I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 tells us, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. A transformation is something that takes place on the inside and leads to the outside. But what Paul says is because of what the Lord has done and because of the Lord saving you, you should live for the Lord in light of that. You don't need to live today and say, I have to do this for God or, and live in fear. But there is a judgment coming. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But I love how Paul said over and over again, the love of Christ, it constrains me. Hey, why do I go to church? I go to church because I love the Lord. Because of all that he's got. Oh, I have to go. That's a wrong attitude there. Oh, I, I have to live a separate. No, you get the privilege of being God's child. And when you have a father who is holy and set apart, he wants his children to be holy and set apart. So the way we live and what we do matters to God. It does. A Christian... You're, the way you act at work should be different than how the other co-workers act. There should be a difference. What you joke around about should be different than what this world jokes around about. You should be different, set apart. Not sinless, because none of us are sinless. With that in mind, we look at this passage, and Peter gives us four reasons to live the holy life. And so the title of my message this morning is Living in Holiness. Now, if you remember as we've gone through, this is week number four. So we saw in week number two in this passage, we saw the fact that all that the Lord's done for us. He's given us a lively hope by his death and resurrection. We're given an inheritance that won't fade away, can't be destroyed, and is reserved in heaven for us, and we are kept by the power of God. And because of that, we can rejoice when the hard times come. And as we get through those hard times, someday we're going to see Jesus face to face, and it will be worth it all when we see him. So because of what, now this is where we get to. Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, do you see that word? That means we're looking back again. So Peter's looking back at what he's already told us. So as we look here, we see number one this morning, why should I live a holy life? Number one, because of our lively see right away wherefore we see that word you see that word right there with me in verse 13 wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of jesus christ so as we look here what's the first reason to live a holy life the first reason is because of our hope that we have because of what the lord has done for us there are things we should do now god doesn't twist your arm behind your back and make you do these things, but he wants you to live for him. And it's only as we talked about in Romans a few minutes ago, it is our reasonable service to live for him. After all he's done, it's only reasonable that we live for him. So why should we live a separated Christian life and live for God today? Why should our walk and our lifestyle be different than that of this world? Well, number one, because of what we've been given. And as we 
look at this. What does the Bible tell us here? It says, wherefore, because of our lively hope, because of our inheritance, because of the we are kept by the power of God, what are we supposed to do? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we look here, to gird up the loins of our mind. Do you know how important the mind is? And what you let into your mind? We're supposed to guard it, keep a close watch on it. And the Bible talks about keeping our heart with all diligence. And really our heart has to do with our mind. It's not the actual physical beating thing in your chest. We think about what the Bible tells us about the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, verse number 14, the Bible tells us, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This is the, the same thought here. It tells us here in 1 Peter to gird up the loins of our mind. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to load up our mind with truth. And let that settle our mind instead of letting the garbage of this world teach us what we think. That's why you look today. Parents, it's very important what you let into your children's minds. Because what this world's trying to do, and you're seeing more and more of it today than what we've ever seen. And you might disagree with me on this, but I don't care if you disagree with me. I'm still going to talk about it here for a minute. I'll give you an example. We'll use Disney for a second. If you notice, they are adding little snips, little things. It might not even be more than a two-minute part of the movie. But they'll add something in there. And this is the thing. I, we saw a movie a while back. And I can't remember. It was just recent. I don't remember, there were two moms on it. And it was literally, it wasn't the Lightyear one, because that one has it too. It was another one. I don't remember. But this is the thing. Literally for like two minutes in the movie. It played no part in the movie. It had nothing to do with it. But what it tries to do is it tries to show your kids it's a normal thing to have two mommies in a home. And it's trying to push that truth of the world into your brain. This world wants you. And, and I'm not telling you you can't, don't watch anything. I know we live in this world, but it's also important as, and this is something that, and we'll talk more about this maybe another day, not today. But as our kids live in this world and as they see things, you need to talk to them about these things and teach them the truth. Because they're supposed to have their minds girt about with truth. But what happens is this world wants to push all sorts of things the way this world thinks. That's where you hear Christians often, well, I don't think, last time I checked, God doesn't care what you think. But that's what I hear most Christians say. I don't think your opinion doesn't matter to God and what his word says. My opinion doesn't either. The Bible, let's help us out today. This is truth right here. This is the only source of absolute truth found in the world right here, ever. So we are to gird up the loins of our mind with the truth. Because what's trying to happen, if we're going to live holy, separated life for God, we can't let this world teach us its philosophy on how to live. That's where when the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, it's not telling you not to enjoy going up to the mountains, going to the desert, going to the beach. It's not talking about that. Oh, I don't love the world, so I don't go anywhere. That's not what it's saying. God created a lot of beautiful things for us to enjoy. What it's saying is don't love the way the world does things. 
Don't let their philosophy run your life. And so as we look here, if we're going to live a holy life, it begins with the fact of realizing the hope that we're given. And because of the hope that we're given, we need to gird up our loins with truth. Now as we think on that thought there, and we think about what the Bible tells us, our minds, you've got to be very careful what you let in. The problem is, nowadays, we just let everything in. We get so desensitized. You know, uh, I was talking with some Christians the other day, and I'm just going to throw out a few thoughts here. They were like, would you watch a movie with a homosexual couple in it? I said, I'd prefer not to. I said, but let me ask you a question. Will you watch a movie where they've committed adultery? Pastor, that's different. It is? Adultery is not sin? Fornication is not sin? But you allow enough in, you desensitize yourself. And it's not as big of a deal to you. That's why you have to gird up the loins of your mind. And when you think on that, I used this example last service, so I'm going to use it again. Yeah, give you a, something to look at. I had someone tell, I'm, I'm not going to, don't worry, Anthony, I'm not going to beat you or anything today. Pastor's not going to jail for beating anybody with it. Literally, why, why, do, you, why do you wear a belt? Keep your pants on, right? Don't worry, they're staying on. We are literally supposed to gird up and tighten our brain with the truth not allow the garbage of this world to fill it up supposed to keep it snug and tight with the truth that's where we have to develop a biblical worldview on things and not let this world teach us what we need to do if you let the world teach you what you're gonna do and your mind's gonna be like this it's gonna be full of a bunch of junk and you're gonna it's gonna hurt you in the long run we're supposed to have our loins girt about with truth that's the problem our minds, most of our sin starts in our minds. You realize that? It's where the temptation comes. Temptation comes to our minds. So you, each of us in this room have different sins that we struggle with. I don't want you to confess that today. I'm glad I don't have to hear you confess your sins to me. But I'm not a priest. But we all have sins we struggle with. Before you ever commit sin, what do you do? You have a thought. And that thought, you will either do it or you won't do it. Technically, is the thought sin? Technically, I would say no, according to James. It's the acting out of the thought. Because temptations will come. But temptation in itself is not the sin. It's acting upon it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I've used this example many times in my office. I've had many people come to my office, be it drugs, be it pornography, be it adultery, whatever the case is, and I ask, where did, well, it all started with a thought. This verse tells us that anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we are to cast it down. So this is the thing. If we are going to live a holy life, and we do it because of the hope that has been given to us, we have to get the truth in here and seal up and just have the truth there. 
And then when other things come, and this is the thing, you see how cast down every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God? If your mind is full of the truth, you're going to have the knowledge of God there. But there's going to be times that other thoughts come in. And literally what it says right here is that you are supposed to take that thought and do that with it. This is the problem. We let the thought come in here, and we let it fester, and we let it fester. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And then we end up doing the sin. The Bible literally says, cast it down. And this is literally like it's here, and you just get rid of it. Say, why did you do that loud illustration there? Because you'll remember that. And maybe next time you have that bad thought, you'll get rid of it. Some of you in my office, you remember that example because I've done it for you. And literally, that's what the Bible says here. When those thoughts come in, your mind needs to be girded up and you need to cast it out and get rid of it. Don't let it fester. Don't give it a place to work there. That's literally, so as we look here, we see, why should we live a holy life? Well, we should live a holy life because of the hope that we've been given. And because of that, we also see the fact how we're supposed to do it. How do we live a separated life by what comes in and out of this thing? You see that right there? Say, well, pastor, I know we've been given a good hope, but that's not a good enough reason for me. All right, let me give you number two. Number two, because the scripture tells you to. That's why you should live a holy life. The scripture tells you to. If it's not enough, what the hope that you have in Christ, the scripture tells us to. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written. Where is it written? In the scriptures. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The word conversation there does not mean the way you talk to one another, although that's good too. Conversation means lifestyle. So look at that verse in that context. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, is God holy? Has he called you and I? We are called, right? Are we called? Yes, we are called, right? Praise God we're called. The Bible tells us that. So as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in the way you live your life. That's literally what it says. In every area of your life. In all, look at that, in all manner of conversation, in all manner of your lifestyle, you should be living a holy life because the Bible tells you you should. So you say, well, pastor, I get my lively hope, I get that. Well, if that's not enough for you, you need to do it because the Bible tells you to. Like, well, where does it talk about this? Let's go back to Leviticus for a few minutes. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter number 11, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner or creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The Bible tells us next in Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 2, Speak unto the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And chapter 20, verse number 7, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now you say, those are all verses about Israel. Now, has the church, have we replaced Israel? No, we have not. But when we get saved, we are grafted in to the seed of Israel. We become part of that tree, part of that family. So when you get saved, you are a part of God's family. 
That's why we could look and say, technically, Abraham is our father, right? Father Abraham. And why he's the, he's the one God started. God chose Abraham. He separated him and set him apart from everybody else. Do you see that? He took him from where he was in a land, the Ur of the Chaldees, which was full of idols, a wicked place. He pulls him out and takes him to a new place. Wants him to leave the family behind, and God wants to use him, and God sets up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sets them apart, and sets up a nation after them. The children of Israel were a chosen people by God, and as chosen by God, God wanted them to be holy. They were a set-apart nation. That's why he taught them over and over again. Remember he gave them rules before they went to the promised land? I don't, what he's saying is, I don't want you to live like the heathen do. The Canaanites are ruining that land, and God judged them by letting Israel go in. But God says, this is how a chosen people should live their lives. And you need to live this way. You need to set up your governments this way. This is how you handle all these things, because you're a holy, set-apart people. We fast forward. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for us. We are chosen by God in him. We are grafted into the family. We are a chosen people. We are to live holy lives, and the Bible tells us how we are to live our lives after salvation. You see how there are pictures of how we live today and how Israel lived. Different, but there's pictures there. And so God wants his children to be holy. The Bible tells us so. And you say, well, that's all Old Testament. I know in 1 Peter's in the New Testament, and God said it in both. God wants his children to live a separated Christian life. We see, number one, why? Or what? why should we? Because of the hope that we're given. If that's not enough for you, why should we live a holy life? Because the Bible tells you you should. Number three, why should we live a holy life? Because of the judgment of God. Judgment's coming. And I want you to understand something. Sometimes I think we do our, our churches a disservice. You've got to understand, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You will not be judged for your sin when you get to heaven. Praise God for that. But we will stand before God. We will give an account to God for how we live this life and what we've done. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 12 through 15, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. If any man's works abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So you see, it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And you see at the bottom there, you can't lose your salvation. It says, but he himself shall be saved. You see that there? You cannot lose your salvation. But God's going to take your works that you've done while you've been here on earth. He's going to put them into a furnace of fire. And it's going to try them. It's going to try the motive behind it. Why did you do what you do? Say, well, well, pastor, I sang that special at church because I have a good voice. That work's not going to do very good in the fire. It's going to burn. It's going to be gone. Say, well, I sang in church to give God honor and glory. Then that's probably going to last. And that will be a good thing. But that's the thing. We don't know your motive. Only God does. So someday your works will be tried by fire. The way you 
you're going to give an account. We read in the Bible about the man who was given one talent, the one given two, the one given five, and the one doubles it, the one with two doubles it as well, and the one with one did nothing. And we will give an account to God for what we have done in this life. The Bible tells us in Romans 14 and verse number 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Someday we will all stand before him. That's another reason why you should live a holy life. How is it going to be when you stand before Christ? And he has these nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet. And he looks at you and said, you couldn't even live a holy life for me? You couldn't go to church? You couldn't give? I gave you everything. And I know people say, well, the Bible says we're going to wipe all tears from our eyes. Take the Bible in context. The judgment seat of Christ happens during the seven-year tribulation here on earth when we're raptured with the Lord with the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wiping away of tears doesn't happen until after the millennial reign and after the great white throne judgment. So let's be honest here this morning. There's going to be tears shed before God. Probably going to be some tears shed when we see loved ones that are put into hell when they go through the great white throne judgment who never knew about Jesus. Because he wipes all tears away after that's all done. That's biblically speaking. I know we love to talk about he'll wipe all tears, there's no condemnation, but there's going to be a day we stand before God. And let me just say this morning, I would hate for this to be the only reason I wanted to live for the Lord. It shouldn't be this, oh, I fear, No. After all the Lord's done, that's the only reason you need. Peter doesn't need to give four reasons here. He should just give us one. After all that God's done, it's only reasonable that we live for him. It's only reasonable to gird up the loins of our mind with truth, and we live a holy life for our God. But if that's not enough for you, the Bible tells you you need to do it. And thirdly, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. And fourthly, because of the price Christ paid on the cross. Look at verse 18 through verse 21. We'll be done here in a few minutes this morning. It says, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. You see, your vain conversation, we were saved out of our empty lifestyle. You see, that's what it's talking about right there. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, look at this, before the foundation of the world, before God said, let there be light, God foreordained the fact that Christ would die for the sins of the world. Before he ever breathed life into man, he knew that his son would have to die for the sins of the whole world. We were not redeemed with gold or silver that corrupts. You were bought back. You were purchased with the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. And that, and you got to understand, before our salvation, our lives were empty. They were meaningless. But now our lives are meaningful. They're full today. Our salvation wasn't purchased with money or anything that corrupts. It took the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. His death was planned by God before the world ever began. And that's reason enough right there to live for him. 
The Bible says we need to live a holy life, a separated life. Why? Because of the hope that we have. Because the Bible tells us. Because of the judgment seat of Christ. And because of the, Christ, the price that Christ paid on the cross for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. What know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he that is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And look at what the Bible says. It says flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Just go back there for a second, Joe, for me. A little plug here. The Bible's big on it. Young people in the room, keep yourselves pure till your wedding day. Flee fornication. So, Pastor, I've messed that up. Start new today. It's what the Bible says, isn't it? Fornication is having sex outside of marriage without being married. Adultery is having sex with someone you're not married to. God intended for sex to be between one man and one woman for life. That was God's intent. And this verse makes it clear that, that this sin, every sin is big, right? But the Bible says here that not only is this a big sin, but it's done without the body, but this one you're sinning against your own body. And look at what the rest says here. What? Go to the next one. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. How would it be if I went to your house this afternoon and I put a for sale sign in front of your house? And I sold your house, and I took the money, and you didn't have a house. Say so it could, that really couldn't work. It really couldn't, unless I got a signature from you somehow. But anyways, probably not going to work out very well. You say, well, why wouldn't it work? Because I don't own the house. So why do I hear so many Christians, it's my life, and I will live it how I want to? That's the same thing as putting a for sale sign in someone else's yard. You don't belong to yourself. It's not your body to do as you please with. Your body belongs to God. What you view with these eyes matters. What you hear with these ears matters. What you let these hands do matters. Where you let your feet go matter. Why? Because as a Christian, you are not your own. You belong to God. You go out and buy a car, and you don't pay for, for it with all cash, and you finance it. The finance company puts rules in place. You have to make a payment every month. Well, how dare they? No, you borrowed money from them. They're going to set the rule on that. They're making me get insurance. How dare they make me get insurance? You, you're borrowing money, and they want to make sure their thing is safe. You can't go out and sell that car and not pay off the loan. They have a hold on it. Your title has their name on it. And until it's paid off, you are not free to do as you please with it. You've got to pay your payments. You've got to keep insurance on it. 
you're never going to be able to pay your debt with the Lord. You belong to him. And we see that verse, for we are bought with a price. Not gold, not silver, the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are to glorify God with our bodies and our spirit. Because they don't belong to us. They belong to him.